0: A young woman taking a shower sees something so bizarre she questions, what's scarier, a human finger or a ghost finger? And then we travel to old-timey Texas to meet up with a group of conquistadors sent there to explore the new world. After a savage winter and deadly encounters with the local natives, the conquistadors think they've seen it all. But then they find the hole in the ground today on dead rabbit radio hey everyone welcome back to another episode of dead rabbit radio i'm your host jason carpenter i'm having a great day i hope you guys are having a great day too hope you guys are having tons of fun Got a ton of stuff to cover. So, we're going to get started right away. First off, let's give a shout out to our newest Patreon supporter walking into Dead Rabbit Command. Everyone, stand up. Give him a big old salute for Zachary McCree. Zachary chants his name as he's walking in. Give him a big old ego. Zachary, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally get it. Just help spread the word about the show. Really helps out a lot. Stop what you're doing right now. You're working in construction. There's like beams falling on people. And turn to the person next to you and go, Dead Rabbit. Radio. Dead Rep Radio is awesome and cause a massive industrial accident. Because then it'll be in the news. They'll ask why you did it and you can promote the show as they are leading you away into prison. Zachary, don't do that, actually. (laughs) For legal reasons, that was a joke. Zachary, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the... What was our first story? I totally forgot. Zachary, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are headed all the way out to... An apartment complex. I know, that's, I know that's not the most picturesque place. This is one of those stories that I found online, so we don't have a specific location. They don't want to dox themselves. But this story takes place in an apartment complex. Maybe your apartment complex. Maybe this story is happening right next to you right now. This story was written by someone who goes by the name Bannister X. And Bannister X, we're going to call her Monica. Monica wrote this story. It's the year 2020. So just a couple years ago, right? Around November, December. And Monica is living with her mom in this apartment. Now, it's a typical apartment. It has has a roof and a ceiling. You're like, whoa, this is so magical. It's a typical apartment in the way that when I was reading the description of the bathroom, I go, I've seen this bathroom a thousand times. It has the little window. Bathrooms always have a little window and it's like frosted glass and it looks out into the lobby of this apartment complex. So, and that's just how it is. And it has like the window and then there's like a wire screen and then it goes out. So it's not like you can just open the window and someone can crawl in through. There's like that wire mesh to keep out bugs and perverts. So when you're in the bathroom, You see this little window, and it's frosted, so you just kind of see indistinct shapes kind of move back and forth outside the window. It is looking into the lobby, so that's not the most comfortable. But again, you legally have to have one. Basic bathroom window. Now, with her window, and this happens too, I have it on my bedroom or my living room window. There's a little hole in the netting, in the wire netting, the mesh there's a little hole in the side of it. It's just wear and tear, right? You have a little hole. I have a little bug that visits me, visits me every winter. I call him leafy. And every winter he walks through that hole and he just walks all over my apartment for like two or three months and then he walks back out. He's been doing this for like six years. So so my recommendation is everyone should have a hole in their wire mesh, because who knows what type of friend you're gonna have. But this one, this one does not involve a little leaf bug. This involves something absolutely bizarre. So Monica would be taking a shower, sh- sh- hot water hitting her body, steam rising, soapy suds all over her body. And one day she's sitting there and she's showering in the window. The bathroom window is open, but not open wide, just probably about an inch, just enough to let some of the mist go out, just <laughs> enough to not dive carbon monoxide poisoning. And
1: this time when she's showering, she looks up, and she sees a finger poke through the hole. And it starts to really freak her out. She's What she's looking at is someone from outside, someone
0: standing in the lobby, has stuck their hand up against the window and thrust their finger through the hole in the mesh. And it's just pointing at
1: her. She immediately knows what's going on. There's some perverts standing in the lobby. With their finger sticking out. And that's what her
0: gut instinct tells her. But she starts to realize some stuff really, really quickly. One, yeah, there's a hole in the wire mesh, but it's not big enough for a finger to go through. Sure, you could force your finger in, but your finger's going to get real cut up. And this finger she's looking at has no abrasions. It's not bleeding or anything like that. She said that the finger was so long. It was this long, pale finger sticking through there. And she was thinking about this. She goes, the way that the gap is and the way that the window is, you couldn't get a finger that deep through that hole. She's trying to process all of this stuff. And this is actually an interesting... I I don't know if I would have processed this right away. Maybe she does because she lives in the area. She says, on this floor of the apartment complex, because it's a a bigger apartment complex, everyone on that floor was either black or Asian. And this was a Caucasian finger. All of these clues together kind of take her aback. First, she's thinking it's some pervert, some neighbor pervert. But she's thinking, how would the finger get in without getting cut up? Whose finger is it? There's no one on this floor who would be doing that. And as she's processing all this stuff, the finger poking through the mesh begins to beckon towards her. You know, doing that curl thing like, come here, come here. She's watching this finger do that motion. And then it really hits her. The glass of the window would be frosted and you would see when someone was standing outside the window, you'd see that nondescript outline. Remember, because it's only open two inches. She is realizing she only sees the finger. Not the hand, not the arm, not the
1: outline of the person. There's just the finger beckoning her. Come here. Come here. And once she makes the realization that this could not be attached to any person,
0: the finger slowly pulls its way back out of the hole. The sound of the shower,
1: but no sound of movement on the other side of the window. No blur moving in any direction. The finger just pulls itself out, and it's gone. She immediately jumps out of the shower grabs a robe,
0: <laughs> I'm adding that detail, she didn't say that, she immediately jumps out of the shower, and she runs out into the lobby, it's completely empty. I, the reason, I, I came across this story not too long ago, and I had said in a previous episode, I think it was like at the very end of season 16, I go, what's scarier seeing a ghost, I, I don't remember what the context of this was, but I said, what's scarier, waking up and seeing a ghost floating down the hallway, or just seeing the ghost's toe? Just seeing a toe walking down the hallway. What's creepier? And the obvious answer is the toe, because we would make sense. We understand the lore of having a ghost, a ghost image, but just the body part. I covered a story a long time ago, and it was just a floating, screaming, bloody, severed head floating down the hallway i don't think it was floating i don't think it was super harmless other than the fact that it was covered in blood it just sat there at the end of the hallway floating in midair screaming and that's way more terrifying than if you had seen a full ghost scream because at least this full ghost you can make sense of it maybe this is some sort of memory but just the head creepy i do find it far more unnerving because here's the thing let's say it was a full body apparition and she could see a shape through the window and she runs out, and the hall's empty. She could go. Well, maybe it was a ghost, or maybe it was my neighbor. Maybe, maybe my neighbor got a glove. Maybe he was wearing like a Michael Jackson glove and was beckoning me. You could, you could wrap your head around that. But just the finger poking through the—that's far more terrifying. And you would think, what in the world? What, what does this finger want? I, obviously, I'm not going to follow it. What was it thinking was going to happen? Why was it doing it? Whose finger did it belong to? It'd be one thing if the finger was just pointing. Like, that would be just kind of rude. But the fact that it was trying to beckon her... And now that I think about it, she did what the finger wanted. She ran out into the lobby. Zachary, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the carpenter copter. We're leaving behind this apartment complex. We're headed all the way out to old-timey Texas. When I say old-timey Texas, I'm talking like 1530s to 1540s. So this is... Long before America was America, this is when you still had the natives ruling the continent, and you had intertribal warfare, you had some that had made these alliances and these great nations, and you had other parts of the continent that were far more hard scrabble. It was a very, very violent place to be in. And, and where we're at is near modern-day Corpus Christi. There is a conquistador named Cabiza de Vaca. And he has actually written a tale, a true story of what happened to him and his men when they came to this area and they were exploring it for the first time. It's called The Saga of Cabeza de Vaca. And it sounds really interesting. I wasn't able to read the whole thing. I got to read a certain portion that relates to this story, but I'll probably go back and read the rest of it because I just happened to read a couple of chapters. I dropped into the middle of this when I was researching this story and I was like, wow, this is nuts. And he writes a story about how him and his fellow Conquistadors made their way through Texas. Spoiler alert, it did not end up well for the Conquistadors. They basically landed, and they, they were exploring this, and they made, they, they made contact with a lot of tribes. Some of them were friendly, some weren't. Right, You have a bunch of people who are coming there and being like, oh, this is our place now, manifest destiny. We're here to teach to you about Jesus Christ and take all your gold and take all your land. And then they just got massacred. Right? It would be the same thing as if anyone came to your town that you'd been in and starts trying to interfere with your belongings. Now, back in, when this all started back in 1529, there was a conquistador named Hernando de Esquivel. And he had actually landed with 80 conquistadors. And they were making their way through the area. And winter came. Now, I know Spain is pretty moderate, right? It's just sitting there in Europe. It's southern Europe, so you don't have all of the horrible snow, snow stuff like Sweden. It's just like palm trees and Ibiza and <laughs> all these raves constantly going on back in the 1400s, 1500s. I didn't know Texas got this bad, or I don't know how sturdy how these conquistadors were. They made landfall. Back in 1529, it's winter time. 79 conquistadors die that winter. Now I'm not, saying they all got, I'm not saying they all got super cold and shivery, and their armor fell off. Some of it could have been starvation, some of it could have been warfare. But by the end of that winter, the only one left was Hernando. Now the Spaniards were constantly dropping off more conquistadors, so he's like, okay, I can't do this. Like all my bros are dead. Maybe I'll make my way through this land. And I'll find some other dudes to hang out with. That doesn't happen. <laughs> he actually gets taken prisoner by a tribe known as the Quevenes. And he's like, oh, dude, this totally sucks. They turned him into a slave. They're like, ha ha ha, <laughs> all your countrymen have been dead. Now you work for us. So he's a slave. And he goes, I got to get out of here. And he escaped to Mary Ames territory. Mary Ames was this other tribe in the area. So now it's August 1530. And there's another conquistador, Andres Durantes. He gets captured by the Aguance tribe, turned into a slave. And they're really working him to the bone. (laughs) He's like, dude, this totally sucks. I'd much rather have just been staying in Spain and going to that rave, take a pill and a visa and all that stuff. No, he's a slave. He's like washing stuff. He's like, oh man, this totally sucks. And he hears stories from those natives about a dude named Hernando, who also used to be a slave. And they're like, yeah, but... He was a slave for that other tribe. (laughs) They treat their slaves way worse. And he ended up escaping and hanging out with the Mary Ames. So Andres is like, oh, dude, that sounds super dope. I mean, my buddy Hernando's going to be there at the very least, right? Like maybe we'll be slaves together at the least. But maybe they don't have slaves at all. So he actually escaped and decided to go to Mary Ames territory as well. When he gets there, The Mary Ames tribe is like, oh, yeah, dude, it's another one of you guys. Super dope. He's like, okay, good. The rumors were true. They must have met Hernando if they recognized me. And he's like, yeah, man, I was a slave. That totally sucked that other tribe, dude. They are super slaved me out. But now I'm here and, like, maybe we can just hang out. And the Mary Ames are like, oh, yeah, dude, we love hanging out. That's all we love doing. And then he goes, hey, can I meet Hernando? Because, you know, he (laughs) owes me five bucks. I want to meet this dude. And they go, oh, yeah, no, I wish you could have, but we killed him a month ago. And Andres is like, what? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we killed him. Like, he came here and he hung out for a bit, but then we just, we stabbed him to death. And Andres, at this point, is like, I I don't know why he didn't believe them, but he goes, I don't know. Can you give me some proof that he was here, that he was there? They're like, yeah, yeah. Then they bring him his sword and his rosary. And Andres is like, oh, no, like he definitely was here. They definitely killed him. And he goes, so let me ask, why'd you kill him? And they go, oh, you know, we have this tradition in our tribe where if we dream that you do something bad, we kill you. (laughs) And <laughs> is like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, some woman in our tribe, she just had a dream one night that Hernando was going to kill
1: her son, and she told us, and then we went and we murdered him. We, we do that all the time. They even would kill their own children if they had a nightmare about the kids. Because it was a sign.
0: The Mary Ames, this is such a fascinating tribe, the Mary Ames, They went extinct really early on. Like, of course, as the Europeans were coming into America, you had these massive wars and these conflicts and these fights over resources and these massacres. Wiped out a lot of tribes. But the Mary Ames disappeared before the Europeans really started to take hold in the continent. This was one of the most brutal tribes around. They would kill their own children if you had a nightmare the kid was going to do something wrong. They had
1: a policy. That they would be no baby girls. None. If you had a son, it's part of the tribe. But if you gave birth to a daughter, they killed it on the spot. People go,
0: Why? Why are you killing your own little girls? And they go, Oh, logic. That's why. Because if we have a little girl, there's a chance that she will fall in love with someone from another tribe. She will Romeo and Juliet that. We don't even know what Romeo and Juliet is. But she will Romeo and Juliet that. She'll go to the other tribe. That young girl who doesn't have any sense will start giving birth to children of the enemy. So to prevent that, we kill the girls right when they're born. (laughs) You're standing in the tribe and there's a lot of women around. And you go, well, wait a second. How do you have all these women in your tribe if you kill all the baby girls? They go, oh, we kidnapped those women. Because we know those women, instead of giving birth to the enemy, when we attack another tribe, we steal their women and we make them our wives. And they give birth to young men. They're just very, very brutal. So Andres is now at the Mary Ames tribe, and he realizes that he they are actually going to make them work for him. He becomes a slave. It's a little bit less of a slave than it was before, but a slave's a slave. And he's tortured constantly, not physically tortured, but emotionally tortured, because he said. Every single day, he'd be sitting there, he'd be digging for roots. And he would be petrified because, you know, everyone woke up, they're like, oh, man, I had a really bad dream last night. And you're like, oh, you're super scared that at any point you could be killed because someone had a nightmare about you. And he goes, I don't know, every day or two, I'd be sitting there, I'd be digging for roots. And one of the tribesmen, one of the Mary Ames, would walk, start walking towards him and he'd get an arrow ready and he'd kind of pull his bow back. And he'd point it at him and then go, ha, 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 just kidding, man. And then he'd walk away. They did this all the time. Mock executions. And he, would, he was just in a constant state of panic. He had no idea when they were actually going to kill him. Now what happens is. Cabeza de Vaca. He's the one who's writing this book. The Saga of Cabeza de Vaca. He hears about this. He hears about Andres being a slave of the Mary Ames. He also knows the Mary Ames reputation. And he hears about two of his other colleagues. Castillo And Estevanchio. And they're slaves of another tribe called the Iguaches. And he wants to run a rescue mission on these dudes. And he's told he's actually with one of the cool tribes, right? He lucked out. He wants to go a rescue mission. And the tribe that he's with goes, listen, you can go rescue them. But you're going to get killed. You're going to get everyone killed. However, both of these tribes, they're hunter-gatherer tribes. And both of these tribes at a certain point in the year, will travel to the land of the prickly pear cactus. So when they go to pick the cactuses, that's the best time to escape. They're on the move, everything's a little more chaotic, that's the time to escape. So Cabeza's thinking about it, and he goes, okay, I'm gonna have to rescue my guys, I'm gonna have to wait for that time period, however, I'm gonna have to go undercover, I'm gonna have to go undercover as a slave. So he actually surrendered himself. He gets in with this tribe, and he tells the people, he tells his countrymen, listen, we're going to get out of here, but we're going to have to wait a little bit. We're going to have to be a little slavey for a while. We're going to have to be a little mentally tortured. We have to hope nobody has a bad dream until it's time to pick the prickly pear. That story is all 100% historical. That's actually from the historical document, the saga of Cabeza de Vaca. The story that we're about to shift into does have some historical elements, but we also now get into the paranormal aspect. This was not written in the book, but this is one of those stories where we start to get the paranormal, the legend mixing with fact, and you have to wonder, what, when does that blend happen? Is it all true? Is just some of it true? Fascinating story. The prickly pear harvest is happening, so it's time to escape. And at this point... All four of them have met up. You have Cabeza, you have Andres, you have Castillo, and then you have the other guy, Estevancio. It's time to escape. Everyone's picking the prickly pear cactuses. And apparently, like, these conquistadors, like, the cactus is so high, they're actually able to, like, hide in it, and they just disappear into this field. And as they're running through this field, because they're dead, right? At this point, they're making a run for it. They get caught. They're dead. They see smoke. Off in the distance, way off in the distance they see smoke and they go, listen, at this point at this point, it's possible we're going to run out there, we're going to become slaves from them, but we've got to get away from these madmen. So they made their way through the prickly pear harvest and they find the Avares, another tribe in the area. Super friendly tribe, right? I mean, they really lucked out. These guys are totally dope. They're like, hey, we don't know you. You're totally strangers. You're covered in blood. You've probably been slaves. But why don't you come and join us? Like, we we can't guarantee you that we'll necessarily protect you. If these guys raid our camp, it'll start this whole war. But for now, I think everything's good. And what happened was Cabeza very, very quickly figures out, dude, we can stay with this tribe forever. If we have a benefit to them. So they start to say, we're healers. We have the ability to heal people and they're healing people by doing like the sign of the cross. And then they would breathe on the patient. (sighs) And then the patient would hop up and they're like, yay, my sickness is gone. Now, was that actually working? Or was it placebo? <laughs> it's obviously, obviously it was a placebo. That's not how you heal people. But anyways, they're doing this and they start being called the children of the sun by this tribe. They're like, oh, dude, super dope. And that is also historical. But then we have a book written called Entities, Electromagnetism, and EMPs. And this book's written by Michael Mott. Very fascinating story of what happened at the Avares tribe. The Avares are telling Cabeza, you know, you're a great medicine man you great medicine We've had a bunch of people die of breathing-related diseases, but other than that, all these broken bones are healed and people are feeling more peppy. You're a great medicine man, but you're not the first medicine man to come to our tribe. And Cabeza's like, oh, okay, you know, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've kind of hurt my feelings. I thought I was special. And they go, no, 16 years ago, a bearded man showed up. Now, right there, that's unusual. Native Americans have a hard time growing facial hair. It's just not in the gene structure. They have a really hard time growing facial hair. So the fact that a man with a beard showed up 16 years ago, you think, oh, it must have been another conquistador. It must have been someone else running the same scam. And they go, yeah, this bearded man walked into our tribe one day. What did he look like? Was he pale like me? And they go, well, we don't know. don't. Well, we don't know. What do you mean you don't know? He was your medicine man. Did he leave right away? No, 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 no. He was here for a while. He actually came back a lot, but
1: he had a beard. But his face was misty. (laughs) What? Yeah, yeah.
0: You couldn't see his face. It was like this perpetual fog, this indistinct blur. It's like looking through a frosted bathroom window. You couldn't really make out the details of his face, but he had a beard. They said when he first showed up, he would just appear in our homes. You'd wake up in the middle of the night and there would be the bearded man standing there. A bright light would fill up the room and you would be instantly paralyzed. He pulled out a quote-unquote
1: blazing brand. It was this rod that glowed. It was hot. And he would walk towards you with it. Mm -hmm. People were waking up with this bearded man in their room. And he would heal us. Well, he would heal the damage he caused. He would cut into us. And pull out pieces of our body. We would see him
0: pull out small pieces of our organs, and then he would use that blazing
1: brand to seal the wound. Sometimes we've even seen him cut off a man's arm, completely sever it, and then reattach it. Here's the thing, we're talking
0: 1530s, 1540s, right? Cabeza understands this is impossible. This is impossible. European medicine is still really, really behind the times. And they're still throwing leeches at each other at this point. But he also understands, like, yeah, I'm sure you could, like, wouldn't that be great if you could reattach an arm? None of this stuff's making sense to him. It's so far advanced from any technology even he's used to. He's been breathing on people. He's been breathing on people and doing the cross. And he knows that isn't, that's just kind of showmanship. But he's thinking there's this is impossible. This is absolutely impossible. But he's hearing the story. And so Cabeza goes, where did this guy come from? I mean, I know he's just popping up in people's houses, but where did he come from? And they go, oh. Over there. Cabez, Cabez is
1: kind of scared to look,
0: but he follows the pointing finger off into the distance. There's a giant hole in the ground. And the chief goes,
1: We call him Malakosa. It means Mr. Bad Thing. He crawls out of the hole in the ground, paralyzes us, and heals us again from the injuries he causes himself. None of this is making sense to Cabeza, but
0: he can't stop asking these questions. He has to know. I mean, obviously you're afraid this thing might pop up. Now, he hasn't been seen for 16 years, but Cabeza goes, you got to tell me more about this Mr. Bad Thing guy, and the chieftain goes, here's the thing. We can never tell when he was going to show up, but a lot of times when we were holding our celebrations, He would just appear in the middle of the party, watching us. Did he enjoy the celebration? (laughs) Were we being too loud? Were we waking him up from the hole? We wouldn't know. But we started to realize when we were holding these celebrations, every so often we'd turn and look, and there would be Mr. Bad Thing standing with us. Sometimes,
1: when he would appear, he would be dressed as a woman. Still had the beard, still had the blurry face but wearing the garb of females. Now, was it a disguise?
0: Did he just (laughs) like the fashion that season? Who knows? We don't really know anything about Mr. Bad Thing. We know that he appeared one night. He's been doing these surgeries, removing these pieces of our body from inside of us and reattaching limbs and, Dressing like women and hanging out at our parties (laughs) might be a fun guy if he was hanging out at someone else's tribe, but he came here for quite a long time. He would just come and go. We haven't seen him in 16 years, though. Cabeza goes, listen, that was a really cool story. (laughs) kind of spooky. I want to sleep away from the hole tonight. But to be honest, I don't believe it. He's a Catholic. Obviously, they believe in the devil. But even people who believe in the devil have a hard time accepting it as a physical entity, someone who can pop out of holes and chop people up and put them back together. Like, even that is high-level superstition. Most people, most Catholics, most religious people will believe in ultimate evil that can influence people. But actually, the devil knocking on your door, Welcome! (laughs) Somebody stop me! That's a little much for a lot of people to believe in. And Cabeza says as much. He goes, Do you have any proof that any of this is true? Which is a daring thing to ask, right? Remember, you're hiding out in this tribe. You escaped these two other tribes. And one of them, one of them currently right now is killing their own newborn daughters. But he has to ask, Do you have any proof this happened? The chief, and he goes, Yeah. And in this tribe, there was a certain section of the tribe that was kind of isolated from the rest. And Cabeza and his conquistadors are walking towards this area, and the chieftains leading them over there. And when they enter the dwellings in that part, there's a bunch of natives sitting there,
1: fellow avares, with surgical scars, burned into their body. Cabeza said even a few of them, you could tell, it looked like their arms had been completely cut off and then crudely reattached. With some sort of heat. With some sort of brand. Fascinating story fascinating story Cabeza, I, that, that that's all
0: that i've been able to read of the book now again in his saga he does not talk about that in his saga he says we did there we did the healing thing for a while they kept making us want to heal people and eventually we got bored of that and we ended up leaving in the official account that's Cabeza's report but we do have this other account of mr bad thing in it and to be fair The story of Mr. Bad Thing could be completely made up by this man, Michael Mott. There is also the possibility, too, when you're writing a book in 1540, are you going to include the chapter that involves the devil popping out of the hole and chopping people up and reattaching them? Or is that the point where people go, you're nuts? I mean, how many prickly pears did you eat? Like, that's not true. So it's possible that it happened. It's possible it's totally made up. It's possible that it happened and he left it out. I don't think it would be something that after he sent the book off to the publisher, he's sitting at home and he's like, Gadzooks, I forgot to talk about Mr. Bad Thing." So I do want to finish reading that saga, because there's a lot more to this book, and the book's available. The saga of Kabaza di Vaca is very, very fascinating. But yeah, that the reason why I love this story is when you think about the totality of human history, right? We talk a lot about ancient aliens building the pyramids. We talk a lot about aliens building the Nazca lines. We look at these giant things and we go, how could humans possibly construct these things? Now, I don't believe that those were constructed by aliens. I've talked about it several times on the show. There's an amazing documentary I'm going to put in the show notes called Ancient Aliens Debunked from a fan of the ancient aliens theory. And he goes through it case by case and shows how humans can do that. I believe humans are far more ingenious than we give them credit for. But I do believe in aliens and I do believe that we've been visited. Maybe the aliens gave them the ideas for the pyramids, but I think humans could build that stuff. But when you look at the totality of human history and this idea of aliens visiting, would it be them coming down and drawing these giant monuments and leaving these things? Or would it be stuff like Mr. Bad Thing? Would it be individual alien encounters with tribes? Would it be something from Hollow Earth? Some not alien entity from another galaxy, but something that's already here crawling up onto the surface. Because how it, this would be not be like a spirit. This definitely falls into the realm of alien encounters. The indistinct face, the blurring of memories, is very, very common in alien lore. The um, operations like you never you never hear about the ghost doctor, the doctor who died in 1890s, and every so often he operates on people. Like that is outside of ghost lore. That's where you do get into alien lore inner world lore which again i think is really just alien lore but it starts off on the planet instead of coming from alpha centauri this idea of sneaking into your bedroom at night this idea of operating on you this idea of having such a clinical detachment to you the same way we have a clinical detachment to ants very it's this hyper intelligent thing So it would just walk in your room and cut you up the same way you may squish an ant on your kitchen counter. Very, very interesting story. And to me, very terrifying. Because this tribe was at its mercy. It may have been the most advanced civilization on the continent at that time. But it was no match for Mr. Bad Thing. That could crawl out of this hole and operate with impunity. Literally and figuratively. And we may have more technology nowadays. Our buildings may rise up into the sky, and we have all this communication device. And technically, we're smarter as a global consciousness, right? We know more about biology. We know more about math and astronomy. But we're still frail, fleshy
1: human beings. We're probably less healthy. We're probably less healthy than they were. And we'd still be no match for one of these guys. The story of Mr. Bad Thing should remind us that even on our own planet, we may be
0: second banana. Even in our own homes, we may not be the king. Because at any point, one of these alien intruders can just pop in and do whatever they want to us. Just when life was going good for you, just when everything seemed to be working,
1: in a moment, your entire existence could change. You went to bed happy and content. You woke up and a bearded man was standing next to you, cutting open your stomach. Who
0: could have ever, who could have ever seen that coming? The Vare's tribe did. But these stories have been relegated to legends. The tale of Mr. Bad
1: Thing is long forgotten. But just because he's forgotten doesn't mean he's not still out there. Dead Rabbit Radio at
0: gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash Radio. TikTok is at Radio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.